are listening to the teaching ministry of Queen City First Baptist Church, where friends become family. For more information, log on to www.fbcqc.org. I wanted to start the message over here with my friend Billy Sheets. Most of y'all know Billy. Billy's our youth pastor, and he's, he's my buddy and stuff. And so I just, I need to make sure I got things in order before the sermon today. So, uh, Billy, hey, yeah, did you catch that? He's going to put that on Instagram, I can guarantee, after this service. Um, so, Billy, I'm just curious, what, what do you think about my shirt today? Is it all right? Does it look good? I like it. You like it? I like it. Johnny Cash wore black shirts, you know, so... Yeah, so I, I like my black shirt. What about my shoes? You like my shoes? I do. You like my shoes? All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You wouldn't wear these, would you? That's what you're thinking. Yeah, but they're pretty impressive. Look, look at the name inside of those. What? I know. Look at that. <laughs> Cole Hahn. Those are Cole Hahn shoes, buddy. I don't know what that means, but I, that's impressive for me. Anyway, they're 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 brown and they're leathery, and they match most of my clothes and stuff. So yeah, I like those. What, what about my hair? You think my hair's all right? Yeah, it's like good. It. A little, little gray. You think I should put some color in it maybe? Or? No, no, don't do that. Okay, good. I'm glad you... Hey, I want to show you my outline real quick. See if you think my outline will be okay today. You think... Look, here. Let me show you that's my outline. Oh, think it's going to be all right? Stuff. It's going to be good? That's going to be good. Good, okay. Good. I just I want to make sure you, you thought that was good. All right, so we're good to go, you think? I think, think so. we're good to go. Okay, that, that was probably one of the most awkward conversations you've ever heard in your life, right? Uh, and probably for good reason. Um, but do you realize how many people are consumed with what other people think? No, really, think about it. Think about how many things you do. Think about the things that you buy. And while you're doing those things or you're buying those things, you're thinking in the back of your mind, what will other people think of this shirt? Or what will other people think of... It's an amazing thing. We started a, a series called Identity a couple of weeks ago, and the subtitle is, Who Do You Think You Are? And, and I wonder, over the last couple of weeks, how have you been filling in that blank? I am blank. You know, a lot of times we are inclined to uh, put a word in there that would, uh, would describe us or maybe explain us, but shouldn't define us. Like maybe you would put, I am a teacher, or I am a banker, or I am a lawyer, or I am a dad, or I am a mom. We incline to put in that blank things that we do, a role that we play. And while those things may help people understand you as an individual, they may be true of you, they shouldn't be your identity. The reason for that is because those kinds of things are always changing. And you say, well, well, once I'm a mom, I'm always going to be a mom. Yeah, I understand that. But but there are some days that that maybe you're not the best mom that you should be. And so if that's the case, then you struggle a bit with your identity. And then pretty soon as you'll wake up one day and your kids will all be pretty well grown. And then your role will change a little bit. Now you're not just mom. Now you're grandma or grandpa or whatever. You see, the the bottom line is this. Satan wants us to believe that what we do determines who we are. We've established that from the beginning of the series. What you do determines who you are. And so if that's true, then people naturally assume, well, I've got to reach a certain position, or I've got to, I've got to fulfill a certain role, or I've got to climb the ladder of success to a certain point. I, I've, got, I've, got to, I've got to finally be something you know, in order to find my identity. 
It's all based on something that I do. That's not the case. We've learned some big truths in the last couple of weeks. Big truth number one is this. Your identity is received. It is not achieved. Your identity is received. It's not achieved. And for that, we went back to the earliest pages of Scripture. We went to Genesis chapter 1 and discovered there, uh, in, in that first chapter of Genesis, God says, you are created. You are highly favored. You are created to reflect and to mirror my image and, and, and my nature in this world. You are blessed to be a blessing. There are a lot of things that we discovered about the core of who we are, our identity. Last week we talked about the importance of not allowing our past, our past failures, our past mistakes, our trash, we called it, not allowing those things to define us. Remember the young lady who said to her pastor, I do dirty things because I am a dirty girl, right? Right? What was she doing? She was allowing her past to define her, to be her identity. Because I have done these things, because they are a part of my past, then those things have to define me. That's not true. That's a lie of Satan. So the the second big truth that we learned in that first week is this. Satan wants us to commit identity idolatry. He wants us to put things in that blank. I am blank. He wants us to put things in that blank that God says don't belong in that blank. He wants us to put words in that blank that should not be our identity. And so this morning, we're going to shift gears just a little bit, and we're going to consider a subject that I think could be one of the most liberating things to so many people. In the blank today, I want us to put this word, I am secure. I am secure. Now this morning, we're not just talking about our uh, eternal security, although we believe Scripture teaches that. When you were once truly saved, then you were uh, truly always saved, okay? And that's, that's definitely a true statement. But today, we're talking about this whole idea of, of people-pleasing. In this series, we are getting a clear picture of who God says we are. Not who other people say we are, not who other people say we should be, not what other people expect us to be. We're getting a, a clear picture of who God says I am. We've looked at the Apostle Paul, an autobiographical sketch. We've seen where he came from being a persecutor of the church to a preacher for the church. And so he, he, he found his identity in Christ. Last week we discovered that, that he was determined that his past... A persecutor of the church was not going to be his identity. That was not how he was going to be defined. Even though early in his ministry, he had some opposition, naturally. I mean, there were people who understood what his reputation was, and his reputation preceded him, as we often say. And and so when he first started his ministry, his gospel ministry, there were people like, whoa, time out. Isn't this the guy that was like dragging Christians off and separating families and and, and whipping on people and all that stuff? Time out. They wanted that to define him. The Apostle Paul said, that's not who I am. I am forgiven. I had an encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. I'm I'm a different person now. That's not who I am. And he makes it clear to us as we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 today. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Again, we're going to look at Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. Paul addresses this whole issue of insecurity. And it's called a lot of different things. A lot of counselors will call it insecurity. Most of the time, we adults, we call it people-pleasing. 
Uh, sometimes we call it posturing, doing things that you wouldn't normally do or that, 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 that don't really, um, wouldn't normally describe you or would be kind of out of character, we might say, in order to please people. Uh, so we call it people-pleasing. Our students, many times, uh, they, it's referred to as peer pressure in their circles. When we talk to them about, about doing things just to please people, we talk about, hey, don't give in to peer pressure just because everybody else is doing it. They expect you to do it. doesn't mean you should do it. It's people-pleasing. It's, it's, it's all of those things. And I believe this. Few things affect you as much in a negative sense, uh, spiritually speaking, as this. Few things will leave you uh, more empty than this. The fear of man. That is living for the approval and opinion of people. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should not care what other people think. We should. Uh, We shouldn't have this prideful, arrogant, cavalier kind of attitude. Well, I don't care what you think. I mean, that's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about the other extreme that says, I I I live for what other people think. I've got got to make sure that I have their approval. It's, it's people-pleasing, it's posturing, it's, it's all of those things. Maybe you've lived under the, uh, the ominous cloud of, I've just never been quite good enough. Maybe in the home in which you grew up, there was a, 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 one of your parents or a, a grandparent, a guardian, or someone that just, that, they, that the bar was set so high, they had such unrealistic expectations placed over you that you just felt like, I can never quite be good enough. And so you lived under this cloud in, in a kind of a different way. All the time you felt yourself frustrated because I just can't quite be good enough. I, I, I want to please them. I'm longing to please them. I'm striving to please them. I'm doing everything I can in my own, but I just can't quite get there. So you've lived with that frustration of trying to please somebody. It's very detrimental in the Christian life. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul has to say about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me remind you of the context of this book. Paul is writing to a church, the church at Corinth, and it was a messed up church. They had all kinds of issues, big time issues. I mean, some of these people were given to, to, to sexual orgies in the name of religion and just a lot of crazy things. And so Paul's addressing a lot of these issues. And, and in this, these few verses we're going to look at today, he talks about accountability, which is a big part of this. Uh, And and he makes some things very clear to us. Let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 4. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The word steward comes from the the original word oikonomos. It's the word from which we get the word economy. Uh, A steward in scripture was a house manager. Joseph was a, a house manager. He was a steward in Potiphar's house there in Egypt. And so with that comes this idea of accountability. When you're a steward of something, then you are responsible to the person who has given you whatever it is that you are managing. We teach that in terms of our resources, our stewardship. Everything that we have really comes from God. We're just stewards of it. That's why we refer to giving as stewardship. And so Paul's making something clear here. We've been given something. We've been given the gospel. We're stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Okay, so so for stewards, to whom are we chiefly accountable? Well, to God, right? God is the author of salvation. God is the one who's given us all of these things. But then he says this in verse 3. But with me, check this out, it is a very small thing 
that I should be judged by you or by a human court. And nowadays it's really popular to say to people, don't judge me. I mean, to say that something is wrong usually incites that kind of a response. I mean, you you can say, you know, God's word teaches that what you're doing, don't you judge me. Now, Paul is saying it's understandable that that's going to be the case. But he says, hey, let me put this thing in perspective. It is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. He knows that ultimately he's not the judge. He said, for I know of nothing against myself. In other words, I'm writing to you with a clear conscience, not suggesting that I'm perfect. Certainly, I, I do fail. He goes, yet I'm not justified by this. And then he he writes this, he says, For he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Two important truths that Paul gives us in those five verses. The first one is this. We should minimize the fear of man. Minimize... The fear of man. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 25, it says this, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. That, that is really, ultimately, what people-pleasing is. That is what posturing is. That, that's what peer pressure is. It is the fear of man. If I don't do this, what will people think? If I do do this, what will people think? Will they think I'm awesome if I do this? Will they think I'm something that I know deep down in my heart I'm really not? If I do, will, they, will they think it's people-pleasing? That's all it is. I can identify with it. When I was in high school, I played a lot of basketball. In fact, I, I, I was, for a period of time, I was really pretty consumed with the game of basketball and improving my game. I just loved to play the game. So I'd spend a lot of my time at the rec center in Louisville, Texas. It was a beautiful facility, uh, big tax base there in the suburbs of Dallas, built this beautiful facility, multiple basketball courts. You could go in there and just play basketball until you dropped. And that's what we do a lot of times, especially on Saturdays. And so uh, I found myself, you know, I, I had developed enough of a, a game shooting the ball from the outside that it, it got some people's attention. And so I became one of the better players at the rec center. When we had pickup games, I would, I would join up with two or three other guys who were bigger and could, you know, dunk the ball and all that kind of stuff. And we'd form a pretty good team. And, and if you played one of those, you know, winner stays kind of deals, then we could stay on the court most of the day. And, and, and I found myself feeling like, you know, I, I've got to maybe do some things to make these guys think that I'm like really cool. Now, they knew I was a Christian. They knew I went to Grace Baptist Church in Flower Mound and all those things. They knew that I went to Louisville Christian Academy. So they knew that much about me. But I found myself slipping into this pattern. When they would say uh, something crude to maybe a girl in the rec center or something, or they would tell a, an off-color, a dirty joke or something, uh, then I would find myself going, oh. <laughs> knowing deep down in my heart, I got no business laughing at that. I've got no business participating in that, but what I was doing was I was people-pleasing. I, I was just trying to blend in with the crowd that I, was, that I was there with because I wanted them to think that I was something that I knew deep down in my heart I really wasn't supposed to be. It was peer pressure. 
so the Apostle Paul, he's, he's talking about that dynamic that, you know, we think that that ends when we become adults. I think it just gets worse many times. I, th- I think we just bump it up to a whole nother level. And we start doing some really crazy things just to impress people. That's why they often say people will buy things they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't even like. That's human nature. That's posturing. That's people pleasing. It's trying to put forth an image. That's all it is. And so the Apostle Paul is addressing that. Now, if you're sitting here today thinking, well, you know, this really isn't me. I mean, I, you know, let, let me ask you a few key questions and let's see if maybe you're not guilty of some people pleasing. Here's a good question. Do you constantly and consistently overcommit? Do you find it really hard to say no to people in terms of commitments of your time, your energy, your, I mean, do you constantly, consistently overcommit? Now, this can be especially true in the church. We, we sit in staff meetings, and, and pretty regularly we talk about, man, we, we need leaders in this area. We, we need somebody who will step up. We need somebody. And the tendency many times is for us to take somebody and go, man, she's been really good. She's dedicated. She can be counted on. We, can, we, we need it. Well, let's get her to do this over here too. And man, she's doing great at both of those things. So let's, hey, maybe we'll get her to do a little bit of this over here too. And pretty soon, this person's got so many irons in the fire that they're not doing anything well. If you find that you consistently overcommit, even while deep with you, the Spirit of God is saying, time out, time out, time out. If you, if you get too much going on, you get too many irons in the fire, your family's gonna suffer. Your walk with me's gonna suffer. But you find it incredibly difficult to say no, there's a really good chance that you're guilty of people-pleasing. You're afraid, if I say no to this thing, then they're going to think I'm just not committed. They're going to think I don't really love the Lord. They're going to think that I, that's people pleasing. It's people pleasing. Let me give you another question. Do you often feel the need to promote yourself or to name drop? Isn't it funny how the older we get, the more we become a legend in our own mind? Guys are especially bad about this. We know the reality of who we were back in the day. But it's like the further we get from back in the day, the better we were, man. It's like, dude, I could shoot the rock, man. I averaged like 40-some points a game. No, you didn't. You averaged 24 points a game. I went to college with a guy. It's like, you just want to go, dude, dude, you know everybody. You just go, oh, yeah, I met him one time. Yeah, oh, yeah, I shook his hand. I I was just like, unbelievable, the number of names that this guy could drop. I mean, just like, wow. Hey, and and unless you think, maybe you think that doesn't happen like in preacher circles, it's really bad in preacher circles. You go go to a pastor's meeting, and there's always those guys that are like, always trying to get close to the big wigs. You know, they're like, I got to rub shoulders with this cat, because he pastors like one of the biggest churches in the convention. And he's really, you know, important, and it, it goes on there too. If you find that you're constantly having to, to talk yourself up beyond and above what you know is reality, and you're constantly having to kind of name drop and stuff like that and try to impress people, that, yeah, that's what it is. It's people pleasing. You do anything to make yourself look like something you know in reality you are not, to cast yourself in a, in a more positive light or, you know, that's people pleasing. That's what that is. A lot, a lot of things to consider here. Here's the third thing. Does criticism of any kind crush you? Does criticism of any kind crush you? 
I mean, that was a ridiculous little conversation I had with Billy a minute ago. But can you imagine if I was so caught up in that that it was just like, and Billy goes, nah, Brother Mike, man, you know, black, black is not your color, dude. You need to, you need to consider something. What? What? You, really? I, you think I, 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 if criticism crushes you, there's a really good chance that you're guilty of people pleasing. I, I want to show you something that maybe help you understand this a little better. Brought some things along with me today. These two little bags and this crazy little Gatorade bottle are filled with notes and cards and letters and pictures of encouragement. This is just a fraction of what I could have brought to you today. Things that people have given me through the years, many of these cards were written by you. The children's ministry at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Alice, Texas gave me this one day during the children's sermon. It's stuffed with little handwritten notes and letters from the kids of Cornerstone Baptist Church saying, Brother Mike, we love you. Brother Mike, I'm glad you're my preacher. Brother Mike, you're an awesome guy. Brother Mike, this is just a little bit. I, I just couldn't carry it all over here this morning. These two bags, they're stuffed with these kinds of things. I have literally been showered, inundated through the years with, with, with things like this. You, you just sent my wife and I to Israel. You think that doesn't bless my heart? You, you think that I don't feel unworthy? I, I can't even describe to you what these kind of things mean. It's amazing. Why do you think I hang on to them? Why do you think I have them? I want to show you something else I brought today. See this red folder right here? That folder right there contains the anonymous letters that I've received through the years. Letters of criticism. Harsh words in many cases. Critical words. Not all of them anonymous. Some of them signed. Most of the time, oddly enough, they come from anonymous. And even though I know that the vast majority of people have said those things and believe those things about me, one of these can flat out torpedo a guy. One of these can make you think, maybe I just need to quit this ministry thing. One of these can make you think, you need to be doing something else. You're a sorry preacher. And my precious wife can remind me, babe, for every one of those, there's 300 of those. Human nature says, because we want to be people pleasers, criticism crushes. Criticism hurts. Criticism, it, 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 it tends to magnify itself. Even though you know the vast majority don't feel that way. That's just one person who in most cases is too cowardly to even sign their name to the letter. You find yourself crushed by criticism? Really good chance that you've been guilty of people-pleasing. Here's another one. Do you often criticize others? Do you often criticize others? Do you have a critical spirit? Maybe you're anonymous. I don't know. 
But do you often criticize others? If you're here this morning and you're a parent, there's probably a good chance if your kids have been to school for a few years that they've come home at one time or another and said, Mama, somebody at school today was mean to me. They called me a name. They were just mean. They were, they were, and you probably said something like this, right? People like that will just put other people down to make themselves look better, right? Isn't that the that kind of speech you gave them probably? Or you said something like, it really doesn't matter what so-and-so thinks. They're just being a bully. They're just verbally bullying people. That's what they're doing. If you're guilty of a critical spirit and you constantly put others down to make yourself look better, you're a poser. You're guilty of people-pleasing. Here's another one. When you're around really important people, do you find it very, very difficult to disagree with them on any level? That's the case. You're probably a bit of a people pleaser. Here's another one. You ever been too timid to share your faith in Christ because others might think you're a Jesus freak or an ignorant zealot of some sort? That's the case. At some level, you're a people pleaser. Can I tell you where all these questions came from? They didn't come out of some cool book in my office. They came out of my life. They came out of my life. There have been times that I've been overly critical of people all the while knowing that I was doing that just to make myself look better. There have been times that I've been disobedient to the Spirit of God when prompted to tell somebody about Jesus Christ because I was too afraid of what people around me might think, that I'm a Jesus freak or I'm some kind of religious zealot. People pleaser. You know what it lends toward? When we're people pleasers, we tend to play a part. Kind of look like Uncle Side, don't I? <laughs> yeah, we got this in the mail the other day for a, some, I don't know, Bible study or something. You, you, know, you know where the word hypocrite comes from? It comes from the Greek theater years ago. If somebody played two parts, that's where the two masks come from. The, you know, the smiley face and the frowny face that you see that associated with drama. That's where it comes from. That's the hypocritos. The hypocritos, the word from which we get hypocrite, was a person who played two parts. That's why we often say if a person's a hypocrite, they're what? They're two-faced, right? Oh, she's two-faced. See, when you're a people pleaser, you tend to play the part of the hypocritos. Because you want to impress people or you want to please people or you're posturing, then you've got to play a part. You've got to try to be something you know you're really not. And so it messes with your identity. You're always mixed up in terms of who you really are. You see, the problem in this whole thing with insecurity and with people-pleasing is that we're trying to find our identity in horizontal relationships here on earth. How do I look to my friends? How do I look to my family? How do I look to my boss? How do I look to my coworkers? How do I look to my fellow church members? How do I... If that's what consumes you, and that's what drives much of what you do and much of how you think and those sorts of things, then you're guilty of people-pleasing. 
And you are more concerned with what people think than you are with what God knows. The simple truth is this. There are people sitting in the room today, you know, you know, you know that you're not a believer. You're a poser. You've done all kinds of stuff to convince people in your circle, in your family, your friends, that you're a Christian. And you know deep down inside, you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's all about people pleasing. And you're still in that condition because you're more concerned with what people think than what God knows. And so check this out. As the Apostle Paul made it clear here, hey, it's a small thing that, that we judge one another. That's a small thing. The really big thing is that ultimately we'll all be judged by God. That's what amazes me about my relationship with people. And I know this comes with the territory. A lot of people associate the pastor with, you know, a representative of God and those sorts of things. But I'll hear people say things like, oh, I would never want Brother Mike to find out that I went there. Or I would never want Brother Mike to find out that I did that. Who are you kidding? I'm not your judge. What a joke. God knows who you are. God knows where you go. God knows what you do. <laughs> It's not about impressing me. I'm a person just like you are. And so I would say this. If you're more concerned with what your preacher thinks than what God knows, you're a people pleaser. You're a people pleaser. And you're insecure spiritually. You're insecure. Paul says the big matter is that you'll stand before God. You'll never stand before me ultimately as the judge of your life. And I guarantee you this, you'll never be able to stand before God someday and go, but God, I put on a really good show down there. I had so many people convinced that I was a Christian. It's just unbelievable. I was awesome. It's to those people that Jesus will say, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 7, depart from me, I never knew you. People pleasing. So we have to minimize the fear of man. Here's the second thing, and we're about to wrap it up. Maximize the fear of God. Maximize the fear of God. Our identity must be wrapped up, must be found in our vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. That is secure. The things that we're going to look at during the course of this series of messages are things that don't change, that, that, that don't waver. Because it's based upon the character and nature of God. Not our performance. That's why, again, we, we would say, hey, our identity is not about doing something in order to be something. No, while, while Satan says what, what you do determines who you are, God comes along and says who you are in me determines what you do. It's huge that you understand that. So while we minimize the fear of man, we've got to maximize the fear of God. Notice again the accountability language here. I mean, Paul says, hey, hey, consider us servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. In other words, he's saying we're ultimately accountable to God. That's what's most important. Now, let me tell you how this plays out in the life of a pastor. There is a temptation. And I would love to tell you that I've never given in to that temptation. Um. But there's a temptation week in and week out as you're in the study and, and I'm praying and I'm, 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 man, God's working in my heart and in my life and I'm putting together the message for Sunday morning, for Sunday night, Wednesday night, Bible study, all those things. It, there's a temptation for me to sit there and go, I, I, I want to give people something they're really going to like to hear. 
It's just gonna give them a warm, fuzzy feeling, you know, because then everybody can leave church feeling awesome about themselves. And I'll just give them like a motivational pep talk and whew, we'll all leave and be happy. And everybody will like Brother Mike. High five, Brother Mike. Great sermon. You know what that is? It's people pleasing. That's people pleasing. That's caring more about what you think about my ministry than what God thinks about my ministry. Now, 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 is it my intention to offend you? Is it my intention to come in here and just rub you the wrong way and just make you feel all guilty all the time and all those things? Now, my task is to be first and most importantly faithful to God to proclaim what he's given me through his word and by his Holy Spirit. If you like it, that's great. If not, that's between you and God. But I've got to be faithful to proclaim the word. Preach the word, Scripture says. Be instant in season and out. Paul understood that. That's why Scripture tells us that in these last days, there's going to be a bunch of preachers. There's going to be a heap of them, in fact, Scripture says, who will just tickle people's ears. Oh, isn't that nice? That's so cute. It's people-pleasing. That's all it is. It's just posturing. It's just posturing. If a preacher is in the ministry to be popular, that preacher is going to be judged by God for that. My task is not to be popular with you. I, I, I love the fact that we can have a great relationship. Again, I don't want to be offensive to you just for the sake of being offensive. It's not that at all. But do you understand the temptation that's there for every preacher? Man, I, you know, I, I got to avoid that section there because, man, that, that's, you know, people may not like that. people-pleasing. See, my identity has got to be wrapped up and formulated through my vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why I can say I am secure. I'm secure. And here's the, here's the awesome thing about preaching and the whole dynamic of that. This is what just it blows my mind. You know, you watch those infomercials a lot of times at, at, late at night, and they always have these, you know, awesome satisfaction guarantees. If you're not 100% completely satisfied, you're going to I've got this awesome guarantee. It's amazing. It's amazing. I don't always get it right. In fact, a lot of times I don't get it right. Okay? But the simple truth is this. As long as I'm faithful to preach and proclaim the word of God, as God intends for me to, the guarantee is that his word will not return void. It's going to do what he desires it to do. Now you might say, but pastor, I, I've seen a lot of times you stand down there at the front during the invitation and nobody responds. Yeah, they do. You, you're not going to find anywhere in scripture that somebody has to walk an aisle in order to respond to the gospel. I mean, it's a method that we utilize and it's a great way for us to, 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 to let the church family know that we've made a decision. I think we need to make a public profession of our faith and those things are important. But I happen to know that, that every week people make a decision. Here's another strange dynamic in this whole thing. I can preach a message, and I can know in my heart and in my mind what I think the big idea of the sermon is and how God is most likely going to use it in your hearts and lives. And then lo and behold, somebody will come to me and go, Pastor, let me tell you, God used that message in my heart from a couple of weeks ago. And they'll start telling me, and I'm just like, wait, what, what, what? Are we talking about the same sermon here? Because that wasn't the big idea. So I leave that conversation knowing that 
That, that was all God. God can take his word, which does not fail, which does not return void. He can, he can put it with the foolishness of my preaching and my personality and all those things, and he can use it the way he intends it to be used. Even if it's not the way I think it needs to be used. So ultimately, God's in control of this whole process. That's the guarantee I have. Where the trouble comes in is when I step in and I say, God, I got, I got a better plan here. Let's preach one of those really feel-good kind of sermons that just make people feel good. And there are sermons like that that are to be preached, no doubt about it. I mean, you start claiming the promises of God and all those things, I mean, I, I'm ready to just charge hell with a water pistol, right? But sometimes the Word of God cuts. I mean, it's like, it's, the Bible says it's alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We're not just using a good piece of literature up here each week, y'all. We're talking about the, the very living word of God, the infallible, inerrant word of the living God. It's God-breathed. So God utilizes it the way that he chooses. Maximize the fear of God. One of the things that, that, that would just strike my heart early in my ministry, it, I mean, strike fear within my heart, would be the fact that I, I'm opening God's word to people. That's where I've got to maximize the fear of God. Minimize the fear of man, maximize the fear of God. So a lot of secular people today would tell us that the answer to this whole insecurity issue and this whole people-pleasing issue and this whole posturing issue is you just need to think better of yourself. It's not what God's Word says. It says if you want to find your life for me, you'll lose it. You'll lose it. You'll find your identity in me. Doesn't need to be an identity crisis. Find your identity in me. It's all wrapped up in the gospel, we call it. We apply the gospel to our God-given need for approval. That's, that's, that's within us, that, that desire for approval. It's there. And the problem is we misplace that approval. We think we're going to find it in our horizontal relationships here. All that leads to is frustration. Where you're going to really find the approval that, God has, that God's put within us, that desire for approval, is in Him. Here's the thing to remember. This is big truth. In Christ, I am so bad that He had to die for me. I couldn't take care of my sin problem. I can't take care of my sin problem. As hard as I may, I may try, it'll never work. I cannot save myself. I can't be good enough to save myself. So I'm so bad so sinful at the very core of who I am that, that, that God had to die for me. But I'm also so loved that he was willing to die for me. I'm so bad that he had to die for me and yet so loved that he was willing to die for me. That's why we can put in the blank, I am secure. Not because everybody likes me, not because everybody likes my haircut or my shirt or my Cole Han shoes, okay? No. I'm secure because I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. And I hope that you are too. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment this morning. There may be some here who would say, Pastor, I... I know deep down in my heart that I do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
There have been times I've, I've gripped the chair in front of me so hard that my knuckles turn white. I've known that God wanted me to respond to his invitation to accept his gift of salvation, but I've been more concerned with what people think than what God knows. Today, today, will you take that step of faith? Come to Christ. Because in your lostness, you are so bad, so sinful. The only way that can be taken care of is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But remember, you are so loved that he was willing to do that for you. There may be others here today who would say, Pastor, I I know that I'm saved. (laughs) I know that I'm I'm a believer. I, I know that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But there's some things that I haven't done because... I've been too busy people-pleasing. There's a step that I should have taken a long time ago that I haven't taken because I've been too concerned with what people think. Not nearly concerned enough about what God knows. I want to be free. I want to be secure in Christ. I want to be free from this, uh, th- this maddening cycle of trying to find my identity, my acceptance, my approval in other people. In fact, God's word describes us as being accepted in the beloved through what Jesus Christ has done for us. This is a time of decision. What will you decide? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today and our time together. But I pray that you would help us to know and understand the importance of finding our identity in you, our security in you, our approval in you. Lord, help us to be more concerned today with what you know than we are with what people think. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing today. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Queen City First Baptist Church. We invite you to come worship with us anytime you're near. We're located at 206 Marietta Street, Queen City, Texas. Visit us online at fbcqc.org.